0: The name of our podcast, Tech Sequences, is really a mashup of two words, technology and consequences. We are fascinated by the consequences, intended or unintended, of the internet and related technologies for the way we live, play, and work. We are your hosts, Leslie Daigle and Alexa Rod. We started our careers at the dawn of the internet and have been friends, colleagues, and comrades in arms for the better part of 20 years. In this podcast, we examine the impact internet-related technologies have made or may make in our lives. My name is Alexa Rod. And I'm Leslie Daigle. Welcome to Tech Sequences. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines a world war as a war which is engaged in by all or most of the principal nations of the world. The term is mostly reserved for the two major conflicts which dominated the 20th century, World War I and II. The conflict in Ukraine, however, is redefining what a world war would look like, and it is decidedly different than what we had imagined. For one, this may well be the world's first hybrid war as the battlefield extends beyond the traditional air, sea, and land to digital space. And second, because the US and EU are fighting a proxy digital war via Ukraine with the world's most second powerful nuclear power, and the consequences are yet to be determined. Russian hackers have targeted Ukraine as far back as 2013 with attacks on information systems of government institutions and private enterprises. In 2017, Russia orchestrated the NotPetya malware on Ukrainian networks by exploiting a vulnerability in Microsoft's leading data management software. And as recently as February 2022, just as Russian tanks crossed the border into Ukraine, Russian hackers used a vulnerability in the data management software SQL to deploy a wiper malware on servers in Ukraine, as well as other countries in the region. However, the prior experiences prompted Ukraine and its institutions to invest in strengthening their cybersecurity capabilities by building up its defensive and offensive capabilities, and relinquishing use of pirated enterprise software and cooperating with the global cybersecurity firms and data protection agencies. The consequences has been that now, despite fears, Russia has not succeeded in breaking down critical infrastructure yet. And Ukraine's allies have rallied to its defense with economic, military, as well as technical cooperation. What are the lessons of this new hybrid warfare and the allied response? And more importantly, what are
1: the consequences? Our guest today is Jeffrey Carr. Jeffrey is a cybersecurity author, researcher, and Poneman Research Distinguished Fellow, as well as a Wikistrat Senior Analyst. He invented Redact, the world's first global R&D database and search engine to assist companies in identifying which intellectual property is of value to foreign governments. He is the founder and organizer of Suits and Spooks, a collision event to discuss hard challenges in the national security space. Jeffrey has contracted with the CIA's Open Source Center's Eurasia Desk as a Russia subject matter expert and has provided cyber intelligence briefings to the DIA, the FBI, and the Chief of Naval Operations Strategic Study Group. He has been a frequent lecturer at the U.S. Air Force Institute of Technology and the U.S. Army War College and was a technical peer reviewer for Talon 2.0, the second edition of the Talon Manual on the International Law Applicable to Cyber Operations. Jeffrey's book, Inside Cyber Warfare, Mapping the Cyber Underworld, has been published in two editions by O'Reilly Media and continues to be used as a textbook in many university and military academy classrooms. Welcome, Jeffrey.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure to have been invited and, and to be here today.
1: So, as Alexa mentioned in the opener, this may be the world's first hybrid war and Ukraine's allies are fighting a proxy cyber war. Can you talk a bit about the significant steps allies have taken to help Ukraine's cyber defense?
2: Yes, the um, that the the really fascinating um, aspect of this is how we're looking at a potentially new structure or format for warfare that does that that is so completely different from the last you know wars that we fought in that. Uh, o- over 30 nations are providing support for Ukraine. Um, I, I, I don't know how many are supporting Russia, but certainly there are, there are other nations that are either through um, active uh, support or by, by remaining um, out of the conflict entirely um, uh, can be seen as supporting Russia. And so you've got this, you know, new scenario of a world war without um, all countries being present in the battle space itself. So, uh, so it's it's extremely interesting to see how it evolves. And uh, so far, we've seen uh, the U.S. Uh, frankly, uh, the U.S. came to the party a little bit late, but uh, but the EU uh, and some of Ukraine's closest neighbors, like Poland. Uh, jumped in immediately with with support, support for refugees, support in in terms of providing weapon systems or um, uh, money to purchase uh, uh, warfighting supplies, ammo and vehicles and medical um, equipment and uh, communications and radar and so on and so forth. So Uh, And then more and more countries joined in and now the, and eventually the U.S. did. um, I think the latest support package from the U.S. government was somewhere around $40 billion. Um, This included extremely uh, sensitive um, uh, artillery, which Ukraine needed to promise uh, would not be used beyond its own borders uh, because it had the capability of hitting Russian targets inside of Russia. And so, you know, that consideration is one of one of the many um, sensitive areas that need to be addressed, you know, in this sort of proxy war, because um, you don't want to inadvertently uh, cross a red line for Russia where it will go from a, you know, quote, special operation in Ukraine to a, a declared war. And... Um, and so far, that has not been done. So thank goodness. Um, they all, we also don't want, uh, you know, Russia to feel like it is uh, being backed into a corner with no way out because of its nuclear capabilities. And and frankly, everyone isn't very nervous about what uh, Putin may or may not do. Since this entire fiasco is such a fiasco, you know, for Russia.
1: But on the specifically on the cyber front, and I guess now that we're talking about you know cyber warfare and hybrid wars overall, we can talk about a cyber front. Um, what have other allies done done to help Ukraine um, in in the cyber part of the warfare?
2: So, um, so there's a lot of aspects to that, and um, there there have been and uh, some companies that have publicized their assistance, like Microsoft. Um, they have been doing um, what, what, what uh, they have been basically helping Ukraine defend against uh, cyber attacks against its uh, against government networks and um, against their power grid. And there have been numerous um, smaller companies uh, that have offered similar services. Um, I believe that I read the the NSA was conducting what they refer to as hunt forward. Operations in Ukraine and in uh, Lithuania and um, Latvia and and other countries in the Baltics and in that general region that are willing to take that assistance. So the objective there being to scour the networks for malware um, that might have been placed um, and uh, uh, in anticipation, right, of being of being triggered. So. Sometimes malware is placed in a network and it's, it's just awaiting um, activation, uh, remote activation, and, uh, uh, or, or some other type of, of signal. And, and these types of hunt forward operations are, you know, valuable because they, they serve two purposes. They help, the, they help the nation that it's being, whose networks this is being conducted in, right? It helps clean up their networks. And it also helps the NSA, um, you know, who uh, who is always interested. I think in mapping the infrastructure of as many countries as possible, um, mm-hmm. because uh, that's their job, right? That's uh, that's yep. their mission. So uh, so it's a win-win from that respect. And then there's then there are companies that are um, are have joined Ukraine's IT army. So these may be companies or they may be individuals um, from outside of Ukraine, but the IT army is a, uh, a defensive uh, volunteer force that helps uh, focuses on Ukraine's networks and, um, and defending them against uh, cyber attacks coming from uh, Russia or anywhere else. The, uh, there is also a, a different... Uh, sector that's part of the um, uh, main directorate of intelligence of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, which is abbreviated with the initials GUR. And they do offensive cyber operations. And they uh, they receive expert assistance um, as well uh, in terms of configuring malware uh, with a with an offensive purpose so it might be um, ec- to extract valuable information it might be um, to uh, conduct some type of audio or video surveillance um, or it might be a, a, an act of sabotage um, so uh, obviously the name offense sort of gives that away um, uh, and in some cases uh it, there and I think these are the really interesting cases where uh, the offensive cyber unit is uh, working in conjunction with a special operations team uh, to to do a combined cyber physical attack, and um, with the objective being you know to destroy um, uh, the the laboratory um, the factory. You know, whatever it might be, that's a legitimate target uh, during this during during this warfare. So uh, that that to me is probably the most interesting part of this. And uh, and while I don't have a lot of details uh, to share, the 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 operatives at Ger um, are I, are having to do quite a bit of testing. Uh, before a successful cyber uh, physical operation can successfully, you know, occur. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people understand. I, I think we, I think that cybersecurity companies have, uh, or let's say the marketing arms of cybersecurity companies have sort of perpetuated this um, idea that, you know, cyber is a the type of thing that you can just load and fire, right? Like, like a regular munition, um, and it's not. It, it, it requires a lot of advanced time. It requires testing. It doesn't always work the way that you think it's going to work. Um, so, and and this sort of takes, takes us to a phenomenon that was, that is still, that still exists ever since February 24th, which was, you know, where the question, where is the, where is the cyber war at? How come? Yeah. How come Russia didn't turn off all the lights? Right. How, you know, how come the entire country didn't go dark and stay dark, right? Um, or some other calamity, some other cyber nine eleven. The and it was a legitimate question because that has been the uh, that has been the scenario that has been sort of tossed around for many years.
1: So, so what would you say that that Ukraine did? to prepare itself because clearly they've surpassed expectations in terms of their defensive response um despite in 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 this cyber warfare uh, and the lights haven't gone off as you've observed um despite the fact that the ukraine isn't doesn't have the means that russia does so in your view what were the key steps that ukraine took prior to the conflict or at least prior to the the global admission of the conflict on the 24th of february that built up its cyber defense
2: uh, well so Ukraine suffered um, from the from the standpoint of of its power grid Ukraine suffered some outages uh, in I think 2015 and 2016 they didn't last a long time I think it was less than a day um, it did have the wide effect but again it you know it, it wasn't it it wasn't long term but they did learn um, from that and they did receive uh, the benefit of uh, of training um, and consulting from outside firms, uh, and and became very proficient at understanding how to segregate the network, how to defend the network. You know what to look for, um, and w- so when when the time came, uh, when Russia launched its its operation on February twenty fourth and and attempted to. Do another power outage. It failed uh, because Ukraine had anticipated that and had removed itself from the grid that Russia was assuming uh, that would they would be using. Right, uh, so it that had no effect. There there was an outage with satellite communications. Um, that was a, a you know that was done uh, by a private company. Um, Viasat, and, uh, and that was successful. But fortunately, uh, Starlink um, stepped in and very quickly uh, provided a thousand or more um, satellite systems to Ukraine uh, that the US government paid for. And, uh, and those were extremely helpful. I can tell you that my contacts at, uh, at the GUR told me they were extremely grateful. Uh, to Starling because not only did it give did it give them the continued capability of conducting their offensive cyber attacks against Russia, but it was m- much much better bandwidth. like they could do a whole lot more at any given hour um, <laughs> because because of Starlink's superior uh, bandwidth you know than they had with their existing uh, uh, bandwidth uh, uh, existing providers. So uh, that, that was I thought pretty funny. But it, but it's a great example, you know, of this collaboration, this yep. private public collaboration that we're seeing, and I can't help but you know believe that future wars are going to adapt uh, uh, the, these types of strategies.
0: I, and that brings me to to my next question because we've seen against all odds, you know, Ukraine being a much smaller country, much more diminished circumstances, and certainly Russia. And Russia had been hyped because of its capabilities, not only in cyber warfare, but also in propaganda. And what we've seen is that not only has Ukraine done a fine job in coordinating all of these allied responses, um, but it's also winning, uh, at least in terms of propaganda, certainly from where we're sitting. Maybe it's different than if you you were in Russia. Um, So this is a, a... Potentially, you know, a roadmap, uh, it seems, for future conflicts. If this is a hybrid war, then this type of cooperation amongst allies seems to be a roadmap, um, you know, for future conflict. And you mentioned that it wasn't just governments working together, but it's also enterprises, enterprises offering support to Ukraine. Um, how, How definitive of a impact do you think this has had this public-private partnership has had in coming and allowing Ukraine to defend itself so ably thus far?
2: I, I would say that um, that it was you know it was uh, a, a definitive uh, it was a definitive ingredient to Ukraine's success to date that without without all of that support, that it's possible that Putin's initial plan of a three-day special operation that he'd wrap it up very quickly probably you know could have occurred, um, but but uh, this you know had to have been had to have been just a miserable um, experience uh, uh, for for Russia, um, and and so just like you know if you think back to the first Gulf War in, in 90, 1990, 91, whatever year that was, that it only lasted a few days. Operation and
0: Desert Storm, you mean? Or? Desert Storm. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and China s- supplied the weapons to Iraq, right? So China right. was observing this, thinking, great, this is great. We'll be able to have our weapons used against Americans. And, you know, we'll be able to Judge how effective they are, and and that'll help us in understanding where we need to go from here. So so when Iraq lost like in a matter of days, and the and the superiority of America's uh, military was so obvious in terms of technology, um, China launched an immediate initiative to upgrade its military, and. Uh, and completely changed, you know, how they conduct war. And because they were in that position of being able to, to observe, and that's the same position that the world is in, the U.S. and every other nation right now. We're able to observe Russia, who's been deemed a very, you know, mighty power, uh, number at least number two in the world. And and it's there, there are so many fails, that nobody expected. What would have
1: happened if, if if they hadn't introduced the kinetic component of this, if they just started and, and led with a with an online offensive? I mean, I think I think a key part of getting all of that aid is the fact that people saw major superpower rolls into small country and says, Yeah, we'll take that, thanks. Um, and, and says, That's just not right in 2022. Uh, we think this is terrible, so let us let us help you out. But if they had right not been so obvious in in you know getting stuck in the mud do you think that the reactions would have been different with a with a follow up question of you know are there other wars playing out right now that we don't even recognize
2: so uh, yeah so so i think one of the other lessons about this is that cyber, cyberspace is not its own war fighting domain it, it's not really very good at, in terms of that it's good for it's wonderful, right, for stealing information or conducting espionage operations or industrial espionage between, you know, private companies or public companies. Um, it's wonderful for, um, um, for, for, from a criminal's perspective, it's a wonderful way to make money. I mean, ransomware has been just uh, uh, like taking taking candy from a baby. So it has, you know, it. it it can do a lot of things, but it cannot fight a war. Um, and it, what it can do, is it can integrate. It can be integrated with the more the four primary domains of war fighting: right, land, sea, air, and space. So, and that's its proper place. I I, I would say that's that's where we're headed. Uh, no longer. I I think there's going to be a big um, push to eliminate cyber as a fifth war fighting domain and realize that bullets are always going to trump bites. So let's use it in the most effective way. And, and I think what we're seeing is the most effective way is when it is a joint operation between cyber operators and special operations teams that are where the cyber lays the groundwork for a kinetic attack. And shuts down the radar, opens, unlocks the gates, kills the video, and you have humans uh, going in and actually uh, doing the demolition or uh, conducting the raid. So, um, so we'll we'll never see, in my opinion, never see a pure cyber war. And if Russia had attempted to sort of Force Ukraine into giving it more territory simply by trying to um, conduct uh, cyber attacks against it. it yeah, you know, it 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 would have been a big deal, um, but it would not have achieved the purpose.
0: So, given everything that's happened in Ukraine and how the allies came and responded, public-private partnership. This is in response to a conventional war, if you will, that added this hybrid element. Now, in the past couple of years, we've had to deal with Russia and other nation states, in fact, coming to our shores on digital warfare, conducting ransomware, um, you know, malware attacks, you name it. So what are the lessons that we have learned from the way that we've cooperated here that can be applied to the kinds of hard to say, but you know, somewhat routine the attacks that we've now been witnessing from these nation states, you know, on a regular basis.
2: Cyber cyber uh, cyber attacks retain the same problems that they that we had with them before the war as 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 after or as during the war, right? So the so nothing really has changed about the inherent problems with cyber attacks. One is. You can, you can make an assumption about who's you know, responsible, uh, but it's a lot easier to know who's responsible when they physically crossed your border than you know, when they've attacked your network. They're, so so there's, there's still that sort of gray area that, that will probably make it much more difficult to get worldwide support behind um, a, a pure cyber attack. Because there's, right. al- there's always gonna be that question, unless you've got a video, Right, of a guy in a Russian uniform at his keyboard. Right. Um, it, 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 there's always gonna be that, that question mark. Whereas, whereas the FSB crossing your border and you know killing. You mean attribution
0: citizens, is gonna be a lot easier if they're physically in front of you crossing the border in tanks.
2: And with that and with attribution comes your you know your public support, right? Right. So right. so um, so I don't think that we're ever going to see cyber. Achieve the same uh, ability to to pull in resources the way that a kinetic war can. And it doesn't, nobody's going to die because of a cyber attack, right?
0: Well, I mean, is that true? And I mean, CISA has been so concerned about the impact on critical infrastructure. So if, you know, the water source was poisoned or, you know, uh, electrical uh, grid were shut, were to be shut down and therefore hospitals couldn't work. I mean, there are, there are some damages that can be sustained by civilians in a cyber warfare, particularly if critical infrastructure is concerned. Now, you know, hacking a data breach for a large corporation uh, and airing its laundry, you know, perhaps not, that might be a reputational damage, right?
2: So, yes. And I should probably, you know, amend that by saying so far, we, so far, we're not aware of any lives lost purely because of cyber attack. it could be that there's a cyber attack then there are after effects
1: it, but it comes back to the same point right your point that that what matters is what happens in the physical world right it's like when it actually right. is damage to people and people's livelihoods and you can see it if you know who did it you that's when you want to react
2: and that's an excellent point point. and it, it, it does always come down to um where is the harm what, what you know What harm did you experience if you're looking for, if it's a lawsuit or if it is a nation's considering proportionate response, right? It has to be based on what harm was achieved by the attack. So um, I'm actually, you know, looking forward really to learning more um, once the war is over and we're able to really, you know, get more information from Ukraine about, uh, the the network um, uh, security that was in place by Russia, right? How hard was it or how easy was it to bypass Russia's cyber defenses? I think that'll be very interesting and that, cause we never hear about that or rarely oh, yeah. hear about that. Um, and although lately Russia has just been, you know, so many organizations in Russia have been have been breached lately that you you it's hard, you can't even keep track.
0: I wonder if we have overestimated um, Russia's even even Russia's cyber capability because there's been a long history of graft and corruption in Russia at all levels, and certainly that has shown itself in the military's capability, in Russian military capability. Um, so is that a, 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 recent, a decent assumption to make that that same sort of dynamics are also inherent in the way Russia manages its cyber agencies? And if so, um, and this might be a dangerous assumption that we underestimate, but perhaps we've, un, we've overestimated um, Russia's capabilities and they're not as fearsome as we might have thought maybe they're good at spreading disinformation perhaps, right? But maybe hacking grids, maybe not so much.
2: You know, that's a great point. And that's something that I just learned. uh, I was able to observe recently when I've been uh, very fortunate in that I've been able to work closely with the GUR's offensive cyber team. Um, And I've been able to see some of the material that they have taken from Russia's space program, from Russia's nuclear uh, uh, power plants, from um, uh, their uh, Kalashnikov concern, which is now a state-owned defense company. Uh, and and it's amazing how much corruption uh, and just incompetence exists in the manufacturing of, of these plans. So the plans themselves are Wonderful. I mean, the research labs in Russia and the universities are excellent. And so you'll have a, and and this is the way it's been explained to me by, uh, by a friend of mine in Ukraine, is that they'll spend a lot of money creating, doing the research and then creating the proposal, right, for what they'll be able to build. And it'll look beautiful. But once they get the money, to build it, there's so much corruption at every stage that it never gets done on time. And in some cases, it just never gets completed. Uh, years will go by. And I, I saw that with their Mars program, with their, with their lunar program, um, with uh, the, the time frame for building a um, portable um, cyclotron in, in, mm. at, at one of their nuclear power plants or, or research facilities. It's just, uh, and so, so sure, you could, I think you could extrapolate from that and say it's not unique, you know, to these particular industries. If this is just the climate, uh, everybody is out for themselves and for how they, how much money can they steal out of this government program? And Russia is aware of it. I, 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 you know, there are, there are serious consequences for, for our corruption.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess there are consequences for corruption at all levels then.
2: That's what- oh, that's yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah,
2: at all levels, of course.
1: So in, in SolarWinds that you know we experienced here within recent years and the SolarWinds campaign victimized both public and private sectors. Um, and, and in the end, it was a private sector that helped really provide a means to to shut it down. Microsoft unleashed its Death Star uh, on the Sol- SolarWinds hackers in response to the breach. Um, so are there lessons from that kind of public-private partnership that we can, we can apply to this conflict?
2: Well, yes. Totally Winds was a great example of a supply chain attack. Okay. So this is something that's actually uh, successfully being used against Russia right now by the uh, offensive cyber team at GERP. Uh, so they'll compromise, for example, uh, Russian banks, you use a type of remote banking software it's made by a company called um, the initials are B-I-F-I-T and 40% of Russia's banks, including the largest banks use this software. So they compromised that company uh, by fit or however it's pronounced. And, and then they were able to send uh to, they were able to modify existing emails that were sent out from ByFit, authentically from ByFit to their banking customers and insert malware in an appropriate document. It might be a PowerPoint. It might be a PDF, it might be a, you know, DOCX file, whatever it might be. And so the person on the other side is going to look at something that is hundred percent legitimate uh, and, but not be able to catch the the zero day that has been used to uh, uh, as the um, as the executable, and now they're they've just you know had the network owned by uh, Ukraine, and so the a similar situation occurred you know with Solar Winds. the the, the uh, solution I think, uh, and it's not it's not a good solution, um, but but it, the, the importance is uh, with a supply chain attack is to hold your vendors responsible for their own you know cybersecurity measures. And the vendors need to be transparent about what they're seeing in the way of attacks or a presence on their network. It, because your little world is... Yeah. Your borders don't stop at the end of what you perceive to be your world. It it, it includes your vendors and their vendors, um, and it's you can, you know, this leapfrog effect is is so powerful um, from from an adversary's point of view that you know you won't, you you you'll see companies fall victim to this and not even know it. I I can promise you that there are U.S. companies right now that have no idea that um, hackers are inside their network because they have only and ever used, um, you know, legit vendor access to move around and not been caught. Um, And they're being used, uh, you know, as stepping stones to attack other companies, just like in the SolarWinds campaign. So... I would say that's a, it's, you know, our discovery of that. Unfortunately, for the victims, of course, but uh, our discovery of it is a, is an excellent blueprint, and I think it should be closely examined and and used as um, as evidence to uh, to to establish stronger client vendor relationships in when it comes to identifying security vulnerabilities and transparency uh, on their security um, posture.
0: I think that the solar winds example is a great one because that's a lesson that, you know, everybody learned almost with a, you know, brick, uh, like running into a brick wall. So it has, has had lasting impressions and it's still a great lesson. Um, now, in this warfare, what are some some of the other consequences or lessons Um you know, if you that you would want the audience to to take away from this, you know, maybe two or three consequences or lessons out of this war that you think are really salient for cyber warfare or cybersecurity
2: going forward. I think one uh, one important takeaway for for um, businesses and governments is the importance of integrating cyber with your physical security Mm. program. It shouldn't be its own department. Uh, We we have, you know, you can see if you want to use Ukraine as the model, uh, you can, the most effective campaigns launched by the Ukrainian government have been those that combine cyber with um, a kinetic uh, team or kinetic action.
0: One example would be the drone, right? The drone example, destroying the Russian ship. Is that what you mean?
2: Yeah. Well, yes. So as an example, so so uh, so so Ukrainian intelligence, they were they were able to get inside of the Black Sea fleets communication servers at the very beginning of the war, like day one. And when the time came that uh, that they were going to hit the um, the Moscow uh, with uh, uh, missiles, uh, Moscow being the missile cruiser, that had originally uh, was made famous by the Snake Island incident, you know? Yeah. That helped them identify the location, right? Because they were able to, to, to access Russian communications. The uh, And so an, another example is that, uh, without giving any uh, details yet, but other examples are that they were able to destroy, um, uh, weapons caches, right? Uh, first by identifying their location through cyber means, and then by sending, you know, a team in.
0: Almost cyber for reconnaissance purposes. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Because they they were able to to get inside of of um, so, uh, a, a laptop that was captured from you know a a, a unit. Uh, or through uh, other means of accessing communications through their, their uh, uh, satellite phones. Um, and, and so it's a one, two punch and that's so, so when you are in a private company and you have a, uh, a special a, a, a SOC, um, that you, you should be integrating your cybersecurity with your chief security officer that's responsible for the, um, industrial espionage and the physical security, you know, of your offices. And intellectual property. And and intellectual intellectual property. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It all needs to be integrated. Um, and, and I think that that would be one uh, very important takeaway, um, from what we're observing, you know, with, with this war.
1: Clearly there are many lessons being learned and many more lessons to learn, but, um, but maybe the chief takeaway really is that there is, no, there is no isolation here. Everybody's in it together for good or ill. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a great discussion.
2: Well, uh, thanks. Uh, you're, you know, talking about this actually helps sort of expand my own you know, understanding of it. And you guys came up with some really good questions. And, and I appreciate um, that you've given me uh, the time uh, to share my experience and my thoughts on it.
0: It was our pleasure, Jeffrey. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to this Tech Sequences podcast. We are Leslie Beagle and Alexa Rod. You can reach us by email, techsequences at techsequences.org. We'd love to hear from you to know what you thought about this episode or ideas for future episodes. Tech Sequences, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and subscribe through your favorite podcasting service.